the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to the special episode of Beyond the Pitch, and I must say it's delighted to be joined with the magnificent Yanis Mahalik, a long-time friend of mine, a uh, fantastic guy, voice on ESPN, been on ESPN forever, he's been a BTP on and off for years, so I must say it is brilliant to have him here. Um, Yanis, how you doing, man? Good, good, Phil, it's been too long, that's for sure, but yeah, it's always, over the years, you know, we yes. somehow we find each other and all, <laughs> yes. it's good. I'm glad you're looking good because you I can too. see you and, uh, and you're doing well. It's all good. You too. And I must say, as a, as a, as a guy who loves football in this country, I, I, I recognize him in the presence of royalty. You've been a voice on, the, on football uh, on our TVs for a long, long time. I hear people in the UK won't understand this, but uh, you're synonymous with football out here and it's always a privilege for someone like myself to be able to speak with you. Yana's show, I must say, it is... Brilliant to have you here. So many things I want to get your opinion on. I want to talk to you about football as it's changing during COVID, as we're seeing a lot of things change under COVID. And what, what's here to stay? What, what will be replaced? I want to talk to you about Pep Guardiola. Maybe nine more than at any other time. His reputation is being questioned. Is that fair? We'll talk about Bayern Munich. Are they the new Barcelona? Are they the new Real Madrid? Are they the team that's going to dominate? They certainly look that way. Uh, and then we'll ask, you come with other questions about Paul Pogba, the Sub-Champions League, Europa League format. Before we get into everything else, let's talk about football and what a new normal something that's been talked about a lot. Uh, the financial ramifications of COVID for everybody are massive. Uh, mm-hmm. And we go back to the, the, uh, the recession of 2008, 2009, right about then. Uh, it hit football clubs hard. But this one's going to be worse, Janice, in the sense that Clubs, especially sporting clubs, are going to be hit particularly hard because their industry is going to be specifically hit in a way that many others won't be because they depend on gate receipts revenue. And there is no no optimism of anybody getting in stadiums soon where they're going to be filled to capacity. I talked to Manchester United, for example, and I asked, they took a £140 million loan in May for cash flow purposes to see them through this pandemic. A football club that says, now we know they're highly leveraged, needing to borrow money for cash flow purposes. Uh, how concerned are you about the impact that COVID's going to have on football clubs? Well, it's going to be massive for some and not for others. Because, uh, Phil, when I think about it, I mean, clubs are going to, be, have to, going to have to be smart. They're going to have to figure out ways, right? I mean, you've mentioned how much money they, how much revenue they lose uh, for game day and fans and all of that. Let's just assume that this will continue. It's going to be empty stands for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a way to fix this. And that may be television because television all of a sudden, everybody's kind of talking about the television's taking a step back. But as we've seen it right now, I mean, they're in the driver's seat, aren't they? Because they still, they yeah. still need to show something on TV. They need content, right? And if you look around the world because we're talking about a world sport i think there's always somebody that's going to be playing and i think if you look at european countries uh, i think they're they're taking a little bit more risk than united states right so if you look at nfl if you look at college sports if you look at nba you know it's the bubble sort of thing but but i can see how at least in our country here in the united states i can see that you know Maybe soccer is not front and center, but all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of it on major networks where in the past you would see it streaming or maybe on a secondary network or, or something like that. So I can see that all of a sudden television will continue because I'll tell you what, in a, in a weird way, not that I enjoy it, but I don't know about you. I've, I think that football has done much better than I thought it would without fans. What we're seeing, you know, be it the bubbles in the United States or being the return of Serie A, the Champions League uh, and all that, right? Because without fans, I don't think we could have imagined any sort of success. But you know what? I'm watching this and I, I kind of forgot that the fans are not there. And you know why I've forgotten that? Because the level of football is much, much better than I thought it would be. And, you know, I was the one that didn't want to have the fake noise or, fa- you know, fake yeah. fans before it. And I've bought into it. I, I actually enjoy it with that. I don't want to listen to an empty stadium. I mean, I know I've played a game and we don't say anything worth listening to on the pitch. There's nothing you can learn, even though some will tell you that they're learning. You know, men on mm-hmm. this, that, left, right. You know, okay. You hear it once, enough, right? I suppose the managers, 
if you can understand their language given different leagues. So, but in general, I think that the level of football has been good. It's been exciting. We just saw a wonderful game in the Champions League. That's been a success, Phil. So I think teams will have to be creative. And if for some reason we have to go deeper into this in the way that we're seeing football right now, I think that the well-run clubs will figure out a way to minimize the losses. I think, first of all, in a perfect world, we have fans in the stadium for me because I think they do add something to the spectacle. But what I would say to you is when we fall in love with football, we fall in love with the game, the spectacle, right? Everything else comes afterwards. It doesn't matter whether it's two kids in the park. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, certainly fans add something to it. The first week I watched the Bundesliga back was strange. It was really strange. But I adjusted to it quickly. And by the end of the season, it felt normal to me. It felt normal to watch it without fans. I adjusted to it quickly. I still would. I still look back at old clips and see fans in the stadium and, and, and do miss that. But there's no question this is the best that we can cut, we can do right now. There's no question having the game as it is right now is, is much better than not having it. Uh, and we had to, I also realized that how important this was. This may sound trivial, but really it's not. How important it was for my own mental health just to have football back as a part of my life for something to look forward to. Uh, and so uh, I, I'm pleased we had it back in whatever capacity we can have it back in. Um, but what, what I'm looking at, Yanish, is when you look at the finances of football, very few clubs are run exceptionally well. Most of them are leveraged high in terms of ratio of wage to income, right? Yeah. Outside of the top clubs. Uh, most of them are, 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 are operated at a loss. Most of them are invested, having people put money in the clubs. Or, you know, as a business uh, investment, they're really not. If you get talk to business people, Football clubs are not where you would get the best return on your investment if you wanted to invest in a business. So most of them are not run financially well. I think what, 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 we, what we will see is contracts are going to have to be renegotiated. Uh, wages are going to have to come down. And we may see a reset that football should have had anyway, right? Because a lot of this was getting out of control. And perhaps some of this is going to be a healthy reset where we say, look, these things are get out of control anyway. And at some point, whether it was COVID or whether it was a financial bust or whatever, something eventually this bloom is going to burst. So maybe well, what we will get from it is a healthy reset. Well, well th this is exactly, I mean, you know, just, I, I wish you didn't say it because I would have sounded smarter, but that's what I would have said, <laughs> is, is that a reset was needed and it was never going to come, right? Because in the best of times, when everything's going the same way, it still would have been a business of the rich clubs spending, you know, all the monies. And, you know, the small clubs, of course, they, they would sell the players. But you see it now already, uh, uh, you know, when I look at the transfer market right now, bar the one or two or three that we've seen the big clubs are still going to do it from time to time for the time being, by the way, uh, because you know, that reset it's taken place, but even the big clubs right now, you know, when you budget for anything, for a big company, for your household, you have to look ahead and you have to make some assumptions. And as you said, like you, I want fans back, but you mm -hmm. almost have to, when you are budgeting for the next season or even the season beyond that, you have to you have to understand that those losses may continue because even if you inv even if the fans are back it's going to be in a smaller capacity so so given what you know you have to adjust and i think some clubs and i'm talking about even the medium cl clubs and smaller clubs will have to find a way because the bigger clubs for a while will find a way because they obviously have the resources so so i don't have an answer to that but in a small way, I'm glad that they, these clubs have to react. Of course, I mean, I didn't want the pandemic and, you know, the asterisk and the small print, what the pandemic has brought in. And of course, I have a deep understanding of that. But I, I, just, th I just think that it may not be the worst thing to finally uh, get this under control because you know it has been. And uh, I've read your wonderful thread about Manchester United, the, the conversation you, about David and Sancho and, and what it truly means. You're more of a money man when it comes. You know, I mean, I understand a lot of these things, but I don't spend my time on it. My job is to look at the game and kind of say, mm -hmm. okay, you know, plus the strengths and, and, mm -hmm. and sure. pluses and minuses, minuses of it. That's my strength, and I don't want to get into it because I know uh, you're much much better at that. But even a club like Manchester United uh, is, is struggling in a way, right? 
Well, I think another unintended consequence you could say would be, well, one of the things that FFP was brought in to achieve was for, to stop clubs going out and buying the loving superstars and building a team. It was give young players a chance. One of the reasons why we had a transfer window was so that if a player got injured, you'd give an academy player a chance rather than go out and sign players. So now there's more incumbent upon clubs to look within their own club for solutions rather than look external and say to a young player, in the past, we would have went out and bought a left back, but now you're going to get a chance, right? We don't have a Chelsea situation anymore where they've got 25, 30 players out on loan, which is ridiculous. Uh, it may be that is another healthy, unintended consequence of clubs now going back to what we saw when we had more competitive balance in the 80s, when we had a start Bucharest, when we had FC Porto, when we had these clubs with exceptional academies that could compete. Now we may see some sense of parity restored with these clubs that say the best run football clubs, not necessarily the best run businesses, are going to be the ones that thrive. So if you've got young, exceptional talent coming through your academy, you could be in a, in a, in a position to exploit. Now I don't want to say exploit this, but certainly benefit. Well, but, but some of it was already happening before that, right? It's just that mm -hmm. the big clubs felt that they needed the star power. They needed mm -hmm. to, uh, obviously, you know, I mean, the Premier League, as good as it is, it, it's a marketing machine. And of yeah. course, it, it, it behooves you to get the best players, right? Just like Barcelona and, and Real Madrid want to get the best players. We, we, we are all seeing what's happening at Barcelona, the unraveling mm -hmm. of it, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the sort of a waste of money that they've had, yeah. you know, buying Coutinho or selling Neymar. Obviously, you know, that's an issue. But but the point about the young players is, look, the, the Ligue 1 has been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. And we've been laughing at them as the level. And look, I mean, Paris Saint-Germain are in the final. Lyon are in the semi-final. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, this this is one of those that may be one-off, right? Uh, back to mm -hmm. normal next season. So I'm not going to sit here and say, look, they're benefiting from that because certainly Paris Saint-Germain are, are buying a great players. But I think, Phil, you and I are old enough to remember that not that long ago, Olympic Lyonnais, won the league on seven times straight yeah, and the sort of players that they've moved on to England to Real Madrid I mean it's tremendous uh, names out there right and mm -hmm. of course it's the up and downs and and look at Bundesliga right look at Borussia Dortmund when you talk mm -hmm. about young players what they're doing with the you know Giorena Christian Pulisic of the world Jaden Sancho now they got Bellingham right uh, uh, Ashraf Hakimi and they still can compete. If you look at Borussia Dortmund, they're competing against the best, be it in Champions League or Bayern Munich. Of course, there's still a difference. But I think, you know, especially in England, I mean, in many corners, there's been an outcry about not allowing young English players play. And I mean, look at this. It's a world mm -hmm. league. I'm not saying it's good, better, and different, but maybe this is the time. This is that reset that you've been talking about where what's wrong allowing some of these young players to play for as long yeah. as the level of play is good. Well, look, Leon have knocked out Juventus and Manchester City. They're not in the semi-final by accident. They didn't get there because they were lucky in the draw. Uh, and one of the things about this, as we see a financial reset in football, uh, football people become more important rather than business people. So clubs now rely on actual people who belong in the game rather than people who are attracted to the game because of the financial rewards. And clubs can't just buy their way out of trouble anymore at nights, but who has the best football setup? And we see that being rewarded from Lyon, right? Uh, so, and, and I think that's great. And I think it's important that football has that, that, that we saw it with Ajax the previous mm. years that have been rewarded, which is really, really important. Um, so that is definitely something. I mean, I, I'm a big Matches Native fan and, and we talked about this before we started recording. It's important as Bruno Fernandes was, which he was. Equally as important, if not more important, was the emergence of Mason Greenwood. Uh, Mason Greenwood uh, scored 18 goals, I believe, that's right, right, for Manchester United. We scored 17 United, don't funny start, right? So his emergence from the youth academy at a club that's synonymous with, with developing youth has been so important. Uh, so for me, I think... Um, it, I, I, I'm a purist, to be honest. I want to see football go back to its roots. I want to see football clubs uh, put an emphasis on their academy, not just to develop, sell, to supplement the first team, to actually give young players a chance that have long links with their club. And uh, I think that's surely the purpose of an academy. So that is definitely something that when we get back to, the, to, to football making money, I sincerely hope that a lot of lessons are learned from this where clubs are looking at things and saying, there are things that we can take from this negative that we can permanently implement, that we need to change. 
because this was unforeseen, right? Nobody saw this happen at the start of the year. All of a sudden, six months later, this happens. Clubs need to run themselves better. They need to be better football clubs and businesses. And hopefully, um, more emphasis is put on developing talent rather than buying it. So other changes that have happened, Janish, because of this COVID change has been the format of the Champions League in Europe. Like some people have liked this, where we've gone to a single game knockout, where it hasn't been over two legs, where um, it's been all about who's been the best team in the night. It's caused teams to be more attack-minded, to take more chances, because you only get that one-off game if someone goes behind and the other team spends the rest of the game attacking, you get a much more exciting one-off game. What's your view on that? Well, look, I mean, I've enjoyed it and I've said it that I would like to see it, but reality is that the game is for the fans. If the fans are back, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you saw our good friend uh, Derek Ray and his opinion. It yeah. was, of course, typical Derek Ray. I mean, he's always going to say the right things. And you know, <laughs> we, we love him for that. He's not going to be controversial, but, but he was right. I mean, it's, it is for the fans. I mean, his example, of course, was when he was growing up and what it meant to Aberdeen, his, his boyhood mm-hmm. club, when you know, they were great in Europe, winning European trophies, right? And, and, and so... So part of me thinks that maybe the bubble or the central location, I wouldn't go for that. But I would find a way to perhaps have a one-off, just like we were growing up. Certainly when I was growing up, the European Cup, the way it was. you know, And I don't mean from the beginning. I think you can have the, the group stages. Yeah. You can have the group stages because, as we know, it's financially very, very important. So I don't think you, I don't think you ever, was ever going to allow that. But maybe by creating additional group stage, maybe inviting more teams. Mm-hmm. And then from the quarter quarterfinals on, whatever you want to round of 16 maybe it is a one-off and even if it means that somebody gets the advantage of that one game of course you can you can do it on coefficients or whatever it may be but I still think that it would be great uh, to have uh, to to have the fans watch their own team towards the end of such a big competition to enjoy a great season in front of their own supporters so I, you know, I don't know where you settle on this one. I think in this environment has worked, and obviously in the bubble of Lisbon. I think, as you've mentioned, look, I mean, a lot of these teams, when we're looking at, at it, some are masters of two-legged games, and that's why we don't see a lot of excitement, mm-hmm. right? I think, mm-hmm. you know, you look at somebody like, somebody like Atletico Madrid, I'm pretty yep. sure they can negotiate their way through the semifinal or final if you give them two games. But if you give them one, they may get found out. And I'm glad that they, they, they got found out because I don't enjoy that. As yep. a player, I would have loved it, right? I mean, I've played in many games where we're underdogs against big, big competition. And when we drew or won, even though being outplayed totally yeah. – it was just, you know, if you came to our dressing room, we loved it, right? Just for the fans, because they sometimes think that that doesn't happen. You know, if you draw a win, nobody cries. It doesn't really matter how it happened for as long as yeah. you get that. But now I'm a pundit. I'm watching a game and I play that way because that's what I got paid for. But I don't mm. enjoy watching it. So, right. so that was refreshing for me to watch how open and how much risk teams had to take because they couldn't rely on the second line. Right. First of all, I completely agree with you. When we get a one-off game, it increases the probability we're going to have upsets. It increases the probability over the course of two games, almost always the best team goes through. Right? When we get off a one-off game, Copenhagen almost knocked Manchester United out. Right? Over two legs, Manchester United win that game nine times out of ten. Right? Mm-hmm. They, 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 all, the, all the advantages are in their favor. So I, this is where I went. And I think that one of the things that I was becoming bored with in European football was you could almost predict who the semifinals were going to be at the start of the competition. So when we see the, when we saw the emergence of Ajax, for example, I thought it was great. Right? And uh, so then we see Leon. Now we see these one-off games that uh, can produce upsets and, and punish teams almost if you're defensive throughout the game. So it completely changes mindset. So that I do like, I must say. Uh, but I agree with you in the sense that the big impediment to it is going to be clubs want games for revenue purposes, right? So uh, how do you satisfy that? Maybe you do have a second. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Phil, though, because look, I mean, television, because I I always keep thinking back. And again, you know me, I'm just football, Mm -hmm. right? But I I look at the college basketball and March Madness. Look Mm -hmm. at this, right? Similar situation. A year in and year out, it's such an excitement. And you know, you can make up that money because if sponsors see this as a must watch and it has been right, then all of a sudden the pool of money may be bigger. So it doesn't matter if you're out in the first round or the second round, you're going to get your money. And of course the Real Madrid and Barcelona teams will say, well, but everyone globally watches us. 
Maybe, maybe not, though, because if it's such a competitive environment, right? Like you look at March Madness and you say mm -hmm. to yourself, well, we're making so much money, we're going to lose out. Well, how do mm -hmm. you know you would make more money? Because now all of a sudden you have this one-off where in every game you've given your all. There's no pragmatism involved because you know you have that second leg. You're going all out, just like we're seeing Bayern Munich against Barcelona. We see wonderful Paris Saint-Germain today, mm -hmm. right? We're going to see these games. Then all of a sudden, if you sell that or market that, now it really is must-see TV around the globe. Because as you said, the probability of an upset is there. So, so I can see sponsors kind of flooding with even more money to that because they can almost bet on the fact that everyone will want to watch it because it's going to be exciting with quality. Whereas the two-legged ones, right? How many times have you or I kind of said, you know, if I have to skip a game, eh, I can yeah. skip that. I can, I can watch the second leg. If by right, if you're a regular fan, I have to watch it because it's my job. But I am sure there are people out there saying, two-legged, Atleti against so on. Eh, all right, I'll watch the second leg. Correct. No, oh, it, oh, it's, it's a great point, guys, because immediately I'm thinking of baseball. Like baseball had finishes with a series, right? Almost mo the vast majority of those games, the people don't start watching them until it gets interesting, until there's actually, if somebody loses this game, there's a winner, right? You know, where NBA is an exemption because it's such a massive sport. But I agree that if you get cliffhanger sports moments where everything rides on this, then you can generate a much greater audience, right? I mean, if, for example, another love of mine is boxing. If we had the winner out of the best of five fights, you know, it would completely take away the drama of this. So uh, one amazing sport moment happening that ever defines everything. You know, so I completely agree with that. I like that idea. And uh, I, you know, as I said to you, one of the things that I've lamented has been the fact that football has become more and more stacked towards those with money and resources and, and made it harder for teams, the great teams with great history, uh, to be relevant today. So, yeah, I would love to see that. And I think, uh, I think football should look at this and learn from this. Uh, we talk about fixture congestion being a big problem. This is one way to alleviate it. And uh, I, would, I would love to see the Champions League from the quarterfinals on, just like we do with the World Cup, where it's a one game, everything rides on that. And that, from when you get the, the, the you get from the group stages one, people often say with the World Cup, the World Cup becomes a competition after the group stages. Why? Because this is where life or death happens, right? Yeah. So I completely agree with you, and I think there's something to that, and I would like to see that happen. Speaking of the Champions League, we've talked a little bit about Leon. Congratulations to them, Rudy Garcia. They've done exceptionally well, but part of the story is who hasn't done well. Pep Guardiola. Uh, in a one-off game against Lyon, you expect this is a competition quarterfinal set up for City to go deep in it. Uh, it was a competition that we could see of Guardiola's season. The one competition that really City are desperate to win. And here he has failed again quarterfinals. He spent a lot of money. And he was beaten by a Lyon team that uh, don't spend a lot of money, develop players exceptionally well. Uh, but Guardiola, to me, still a world-class coach. But some people are raising question marks. What do you say? What do you What do you say on Guardiola? Well, you know that I, you know, I, I love the type of coach that Pep Guardiola is. I mean, I've loved his Barcelona teams. I, I mean, I very often love the way Manchester City play. Right? They are entertaining. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's must-watch TV, but of course, Manchester City, there's a value to them, the way they play, where you enjoy watching it, right? Unless you're, yep. like, you mentioned. No, United. I agree. I really agree. No, you I know, but, yeah, see yeah, that that's true. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think, I hope that he, uh, he looks within himself. And I think, I hope that the, the pressure should be there on him, by the way. Mm -hmm. I know yeah, it's, I it's, mar I know it's marginal, but, well, the pressure hasn't been all that big on him, really. Think about it. I mean, same Leon, Mauricio Zari loses the game. Almost that same night, he's gone. I mean, they announced it the next day, but he's gone, right? Uh, you look at, you look at um, Kike Setien in Barcelona, obviously that was eight and all that. And, you know, you can say he would have been fired regardless. Some people will say that, right? Even if they wanted. I don't know that. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It almost doesn't matter. But, you know, sometimes, because we often talk about England and the sort of, you know, the media and the pressure they get. 
it doesn't seem to me like, you know, I'm reading these articles and he's getting a little bit of a pass on it. And I'm not trying to sit here and say he should have been fired. And I still enjoy the way he plays. But it's funny somehow because I often think that as tough as the media are in England, I think if this was in Italy or if this was in Spain, yeah. I think he's, I mean, this is going to be 24-7 talk mm -hmm. about should Pep stay or should Pep go. You know, and Mauricio Sarri is a good example because Juventus, I mean, Juventus similar in that way, right? I mean, let me ask you this. If today, if today, if today Paris Saint-Germain loses that game, you think Tuchel stays there next season? No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he goes because he's a good coach, but I think there would have been an incredible pressure from everybody. And and perhaps maybe Pep Guardiola is a little bit better protected there, right? Uh, Chiki Begerstian, you know, obviously, you know, he's got people in behind from Barcelona, whatever it is. My point in all of this is I'm not firing Pep Guardiola, but it's okay for us to put pressure on him. And in fact, we should be putting pressure on him because, yes, I mean, this club has... You know, did they make it past quarterfinals? No, that's three times, right? Right now, right? Pass. Well, wait a minute, Yanis. They won the quarterfinals. So, so um, let's let's look at this. Let's say we'd seen Pep Guardiola's name to Roberto Mancini. This would be defender's failure. Let's mm -hmm. say we changed his name to Manuel Pellegrini. This would mm -hmm. be defender's failure. Both of them won the league at City, which Pep Guardiola did. Right. Both right. of them got sacked because of their European record, right? Pep Guardiola was brought in here to be an improvement on that. Now, bear in mind, Pep Guardiola also took over Eupankas after winning the travel Premier League right. and was never right. able to repeat that. Was right. never able to bring a European Cup. He still, to me, is an outstanding coach, but there's still that tiny little asterisk where he inherited this amazing Barcelona team that was complete. And he won the European Cup. I believe there's a lot of coaches out there that would have won the European Cup with that Barcelona team, Right. I also think that the City team that won the league, not obviously a season ago, were magnificent, right? But right. to me, he is the second best coach in England behind Jurgen Klopp. And we'll get to him in a minute uh, because he's, he's done such an outstanding job. But to me, I think there's fair questions surrounding Pep Guardiola. And there's some people out there that almost get offended that you ask them. Yeah, yeah. I th I think you know there's always a problem because you know you look at the body of work he's had and it's tremendous. And I still yeah. think you know we look at him. It's difficult for us to say because deep down we know how good he is. And there's been a number of players that have said how much he's changed them as players for the better, right? Even at Bayern Munich, you look at somebody like uh, Joshua Kimmich, right? I mean, mm -hmm. he's a, he's an incredible player, right? I mean, he's you know Philip Lahm, which is kind of mm -hmm. in the same ilk, has said the same. So we all know that he understands the game, he makes players better, he's winning trophies as well, because every season he seems to be winning something. But again, if you look at the ultimate goal, that's the third time now. Now, that's not to say, look, I mean, not long ago we were talking, you know, people going crazy about Jurgen Klopp, he's never won any finals and all that, right? You know, you say that, be careful what you say, right? Because it's going to come back to haunt you. And now all of a sudden Jurgen Klopp wins just about every final he plays. So mm -hmm. the quality is there and... and but you asked me a question, should we, should we have any questions about Pep Guardiola? And, and the answer to that is yes, because he would have been questioned everywhere in the world, even in Spain. He would have been. I'm not talking way back when, when they were winning everything, but say if he was coaching right now, those questions would have been asked because he, he does have a wonderful team. It seems to me that towards the, and by the way, this season, I mean, the drop-off is immense from, you yeah. know, away from Liverpool. And, and, and after the new year or after the pandemic, you could tell that he knew that and he started to prepare his team for the Champions League. That was mm -hmm. clear when you look at his lineups, mm -hmm. the yeah. way he was managing the team. And by the way, he had to because he was also in the FA Cup. You know, he was in all, all different competitions. But clearly there, there was a pattern of there was a pattern of preparing this team for Champions League and for this game, right? For the last couple of games. So... And ultimately, you know, I mean, the Real Madrid game was wonderful. Then comes the next game. It wasn't, you know, and I was just, you know, like probably you disappointed because I was disappointed that he meddled with his team, different formation, which I didn't mm -hmm. see comment. More pragmatic from a manager that always tells us, hey, we have one way of playing. Mm -hmm. We have one philosophy. We want to attack. We want to do this. We want to do that. And then I go back three, you know, uh, uh, three center backs and I'm looking at that midfield and I'm going, Wait a second here. Who's in that midfield? How? Mm -hmm. What? You know, just didn't. 
you know, I, I, it's not hindsight even because before that you kind of just said, is it because it's a one-off? Was he just a little bit scared? Was he trying to manage his way through the entire competition rather than just one game? There's so many questions about that, uh, that for me, it's enough to question him slightly while respecting him immensely. Well, one of the things that football at the very top is a constant game of chess. You have this amazing team, then teams work you out, then you have to continue to evolve to, uh, to because teams start picking teams to stop you. So, Guardiola had this amazing team that walked the league two years ago. It's me, it was one of the best teams that I've ever seen in the Premier League. Uh, he's lost David Silva. Phil, Phil Foden's going to come in now. Magnificent young Tom, but it's a massive, massive ask to say, come in and be my David Silva. And it felt like to me, teams had worked City out a bit. Right? It felt like to me that uh, they didn't have the same fear factor. And the fact that Pep Guardiola's defense was, was, was so open. To me, I think um, if that's another coach, they might not get away with that. Jurgen Klopp not just matched City, but surpassed them. And when I look at Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, for example, if, say, Liverpool finished fourth with another manager, Janish, I would look at that Liverpool team and say, the reason why they finished fourth is it's not really a team filled with world-class players. We've got one or two world-class players. But here we have a Liverpool team that's so far ahead of everyone this season that's bigger than some of its parts. Everyone plays above themselves. Everyone yeah. plays as a team, which is why it's really hard to buy players with the Liverpool team because you have to fit a system, right? You have to come in and seamlessly fit into this system and play towards, uh, play towards a, a, a team. Uh, and so when I look at Jurgen Klopp, I look at a guy that is both a terrific manager and a terrific coach, right? He has, I mean, you take a look at his players, Andy Robertson. Who was Andy Robertson before he signed for Liverpool? Now he's one of the best left-backs in the world. But I could see where Andy Robertson would go somewhere else and not be one of the best left-backs in the world. Right? Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, when you promote young kids from the academy and you want to win European Cups, that's really hard to do because to win European Cups, you have to have some of the best players in the world in that position. And the likelihood that kid is the best player in the world coming through your academy is not high. So they've got this magnificent young talent. Then... Virgil van Dijk, who's a, who, you know, is a world-class footballer, um, but still had that question mark before he left his time. You go through that Liverpool team, and he, Jordan Henderson, to me, wouldn't ever be in the discussion for one of the best midfielders in the world by himself. But in this Liverpool team, he is. And I think what Jurgen Klopp, as much as it kills me to say it as a United fan, <laughs> has done such an outstanding job where he's turned Liverpool into this ruthlessly efficient team, not just over one season. Remember, he lost the European Cup final, right? Um, by the thinnest of margins, by Wonder Goals and Gareth Bale, then goes and wins it the following season. It's extremely hard to do. Then goes and wins the Premier League, uh, all by playing exceptional football and by not spending massive amounts. I know he spent some money, but he hasn't wasted a single penny of Liverpool's money. Look, I mean, you know, first of all, you have to mention the culture, right? Because, you know, we've talked about Pep Guardiola and we're not talking about Jurgen Klopp. You know, as a player... You know, for as long as you have that target and you truly believe that you can achieve it because you know you have quality around you and you also have a leader like him, you know, that target drives you, right? It's going to be interesting because, you know, I don't think we've said harsh words about Pep necessarily, no. but I can understand what happened. Look, I mean, they had two wonderful seasons. Unbelievable. I mean, what they, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, that one season, yeah. just unplayable, incredible, yeah. right? And they still won a lot. They just haven't won that holy grail, right? Mm -hmm. But with Jurgen Klopp, is a little bit similar, right? Because he was getting there, lost that Champions League final, but, you know, that hurt stays with you. And if you have a leader like him that can say, we're this far away, we're going to get another piece, right? Van Dijk, Alisson. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, players are on saying, yeah, last year that was missing. You know, Karius and go, oh my God, we all know that. Now, yeah. now you, you have Van Dijk coming in. So as a player, you understand that your manager and your boardroom is doing exactly what's needed. Because very often we can talk about any team, right? You can talk about your Manchester United and you can say, we need this, we need this, we need that, right? Jose Mourinho has said that many other managers. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. there's a talk, 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 and nothing comes here. Correct. It affects the other players, I promise you. Because Absolutely. we hear this, we listen to this. We know this is true, by the way, that we yes, need of course. this position or that position, depth or starter, whatever it is. And then because we're a big club and the media writes about it 24-7, mm -hmm. we 
you know, when it doesn't happen, it's disappointing actually to the yes. players within the dressing room as well, right? Of course. Because now you're saying, well, we came this close last year. Can we rise that additional 5% without the extra help? It's doubtful. So, so I, look at, I look at Jurgen Klopp, what he did. That target was always there. They missed it, that they got the Champions League. Then by one point, they lost to Man City in that epic battle. And then just an incredible start aided by two wonderful world-class players, right? That were needed, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that snowball, snowballed on you, right? Now this season, it's sort of going to be like what Pep Guardiola is doing now. You've achieved it. Liverpool has achieved everything they wanted to achieve. It's not easy. I don't care how good a player you are. I don't care how good Jurgen Klopp is, and I think he's wonderful. You know me, unlike you. I'm a mm-hmm. Liverpool fan, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we have this banter somehow. But I do worry because, because the way they play, you can only get so much out of the players. Right. And the wear and tear is there for all to see. Antonio Conte is a perfect example of that. You're going to see Tuho because those are high-tempo teams. Even somebody like Leipzig. By the way, today... You know, when Leipzig played the last game, who they be Atletico Madrid, they just outran him. They hyper, I mean, they had young players that could run three games straight, right? And I thought if they do the same against Paris Saint-Germain today, they may have a chance because if you just hound that team and, you know, take the possession and all of that, but they couldn't do it because it's not easy. It's not, you know, there's that, this conception. I always get to this when people like, when you play, well, you guys are professionals, you should be able... There are limits. Some players can run this much. Some players have that for 65, 70 minutes. Well, when you look at Klopp's team, when you look at some of the best teams, those players can do this night and day. But there comes a point that it just there's one or two games or three games when you just don't, don't have it. So, so, look, I hope that Jurgen Klopp can replicate that. But it's going to be a big test, not because he's going to all of a sudden become a bad coach. Like Pep Guardiola, he didn't become a bad coach. Of course. But, you know, you have to refresh that constantly. You have to – the hungry young players is today's game. It really is. You know, the, the time of Mesut also, and I hate to throw him yeah. under the bus because I don't mean it in that way. But you can't have luxury players like that. You just cannot. You, you know, you can say how wonderful he is, what you can do with the ball – but unless you defend from the front, unless you can play with a high tempo over 90 minutes at a time, I think those days are gone when you have those players that just kind of have wonderful talent and there's others willing to work for them because of that talent. I don't think you can have that on teams like Manchester City, on teams like Liverpool, on teams like Juventus, you know, the teams that, that are going to be in the thick of things for all competitions. It's a good point you bring up because as a United fan, when I look at Liverpool and I look at what could be their potential downfall, to me, it's that when you push a human being, first of all, there's so much we don't see about a footballer, right? We see the 90 minutes, but we don't see the professional standards that they live with every day, that they live with outside of football, what they don't eat, that they go to bed at the right time. They discipline themselves. They do all the things you don't see so that you can perform consistently at that level. To ask a human being to do that physically and mentally consistently over years is very, very difficult to do. Eventually, a human being, just like everyone else, has ebb and flow. They're going to have these down moments, right? And so you get what we call burnout, I suppose. It's difficult to ask that of a human being to be that consistent. You get injuries. Things happen to a person. Um, Things change in their personal life. Just life happens. So that, to me, is the only threat that I see to Liverpool in a sense that we almost saw it with City where Pep Guardiola had players playing to such an exceptionally high standard and eventually they cracked and players couldn't maintain that. And, and, and uh, you need money. You need to be able to recycle teams to be able to do that uh, because players can only do that for so long. Um, Mesut Ozil is a perfect example. Mesut Ozil has immense talent, but Mesut Ozil doesn't have the drive of a Liverpool player that it takes to do you want to be successful every single day. Every Look, minute of your life. And sorry to interrupt you, but another yeah. player that comes to mind because we're talking about Pep. I mean, remember, remember last season when City were unplayable, right? Not this, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Remember Bernardo Silva picked yeah. himself in the starting eleven. Pep's number one guy. I mean, it was amazing to watch Bernardo Silva. How much ground he covered. How well he played. Well, look at this season. He's hardly he's hardly played. Not in the big matches. Look at the last one in Champions League, right? I mean, Riyad Mahrez coming in there. It makes me wonder. I don't know what the reason for that is. He, he's a wonderful player. Certainly Pep 
didn't say, well, he forgot how, how to play. But I just wonder if he paid the price for that because I specifically remember watching him. And of course, people writing after games, just the incredible effort that he's put to every game because of all the players that they have, maybe Baraguero last season, not one player. The first name on, the, on, the, on that sheet was Bernardo Silva, the way he played. It was incredible. So, again, this is just guessing on my part. I don't know what happened, but don't you think it's, it's something, some, it could be just some sort of a fatigue, even if, if it's physical or mental, where he's given so much of himself that all of a sudden you just kind of, you drop off just a little bit, but it, you know, to you it seems like you're dropping off a little bit, but maybe to others it seems like it's a ton because... Uh, that's been bothering me throughout the whole season why he's been so rarely used so, and when he was used he wasn't effective. Bernardo Silva so so Bernardo Silva maybe to me the, the the Bernardo Silva Kevin De Bruyne partnership to me maybe the reverse situation at United where you've got Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. Bernardo Silva may be a player that wants to hide behind Kevin De Bruyne in the sense that let Kevin De Bruyne take the responsibility, let him be the focal point. I don't want that responsibility. I can play well if somebody else takes that responsibility from me um, because there's question marks about Paul Pogba and what bracket do we put him in? And there's a, there's a school of thought out there that people believe that Paul Pogba plays well when, Bernardo, when, when, when Bruno Fernandes plays because he's the focal point. He's the player that takes responsibility. He's the player that makes things happen. And Paul Pogba can float in and out of games without having that responsibility of being the focal point in Manchester United's team. I have to say that for a £90 million footballer, I expected more when United signed him. Uh, I look back in his Manchester United career and I can't find too many games that tells me he's a £90 million footballer. One of them was two seasons ago against Man City in the Derby. He had a 2-0 down. He was magnificent second half, won the game 3-2. But there's been not enough of those. Uh, and so when I look at someone like Pogba, would I trust him in the midfield on his own? No. Uh, you look at the start of the season, he was United's only creative midfield player. Uh, gets injured against Rochdale and, and it falls apart. Changes when Fernandes comes in. What Bob Pogba's supposed to be in the prime of his career where we're supposed to be seeing the best Paul Pogba. He's matured into a world-class footballer. There are no more question marks, but yet still so many remain. Where would you put Paul Pogba? Uh, you know, you and I have talked about it. it was a, I wish you were tapping up. It was a perfect uh, <laughs> conversation. Now, let's, let's see if I remember. And by the way, when I say this, I'm going to try, not read his mind, but just sort of imagine myself. And, and, and again, you know, if it's not true, you know, I, I'd apologize. But look, Paul Pogba only plays when he's well protected and when he's playing on a good team. And we've seen that at Juventus where, you know, he's still young. Remember Marquisio up and down, three nights, three days. Was it Vidal was there too? I can't remember who was in that match. Yeah, Pierlo. Yeah, Pierlo. Yeah, Marquisio was certainly the workhorse mm -hmm. right next to him. A winning team all the time. France, of course. I mean, you know, didn't have to do much because the players in front of him. I mean, I don't want to say didn't have to do much because he did a lot. But I think in his mentality, he's always played on good teams. And I'm going to take that stint at United when he was young because it's not important. Well, right. he's at United right now. And, and I've told you this before. I mean, the pandemic has helped United tremendously. At mm -hmm. first, you remember we said right away, we kind of said, well, Rashford was injured, right? Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the pandemic has allowed him to... Uh, uh, to recover, which I think was important. But mm -hmm. more importantly, I think it sort of brought Paul Pogba and his interest back. Because before that, and here's where I'm, you know, I'm, you know, maybe taking some liberties, but I've seen players like this when, when they pick and choose when they play, when they're injured, and when they come back. I used to bet with my friends and certain people like, you know when they're going to come back? Yeah, we win one or two. You look at the schedule, that game, yeah, that game is a banker we play. And with his injury, as we all know it before that, he knew that United weren't going anywhere. If the pandemic didn't happen, Manchester United are not in the top four. He was probably already gone somewhere, wherever he thought, because if, the, if there wasn't a pandemic, he probably would have been sold. And that's why he was, to me, picking and choosing. And look at this, what happened afterwards, right? Now, you know, there's a pandemic. You start worrying a little bit about what may happen to you, right? Or, or what may not happen. But on top of it, you have Bruno Fernandes. You have Rashford that's ready. As you've mentioned, you have young Greenwood that's just playing lights out. And you have Anthony Martial, 
who's out of nowhere. I mean, we all knew about his talent, but I mean, wow, and consistently wow. So all of a sudden it's a team, right? So the player, players like Pogba, it seems to me, or a lot of players are like that. When they see others that can play, they change their attitude a little bit. They change the way they play. And that's why I think we saw Paul Pogba that was, I, I don't know that he was that much better, but all of a sudden he was interested in the project. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. All of a sudden he, he bought into it because now, oh, oh you know what? Whew, this is a better team. Now I can look maybe better. So again, I'm taking liberties. I'm taking assumptions, but I've been around these players. And the best thing that you've said I think when we talked, uh, you know, off air here was that, you know, Paul Pogba was brought to play well in those big matches, right? Like the one that we just had, right? <laughs> in Sevilla. Yeah, well, so, yeah, those are the matches. And, you know, and there's probably a number of games that either, the, you know, and I'm not saying that there hasn't, there haven't been big matches that he haven't played well. Some, you know, Manchester, that he has played well and he's a very good player, but for the amount of money and as much as we talk about it and for as much as experience he already has in terms of winning, he should be giving you more. I mean, he's won with Juventus. He's won, you know, he's won everything. And that's why to me, he's very disappointing. Your relationship with the fans is primarily built on one thing, your contribution in big games, right? That's what the fans remember, right? When you ask the United fans about one matter, what do they remember? It's basically kick it on for you, right? That sticks out for them. Diego Forlan is still sung by Manchester United fans for his two goals at Anfield. These are the games that define you as a player. Also, the reverse is true at Liverpool. So when I look at Paul Pogba and I think, like we said earlier, we've got one game that he stood out in, and that was the Man City game away, right? But where are the the games away at Anfield that he's dominated? Where are the games away? When you buy a £90 million footballer at a club like Manchester United, you buy them to make the difference in the 10% games, in the games where you're playing against top teams where fine margins make the difference. When you're playing against Norwich, you've got enough players in that squad to, to beat Norwich. You're not relying on a Paul Pogba, but other players will do that for you. When you're playing against other smaller teams, you, you never have enough quality. It's the big games that we look at the likes of Pogba against Sevilla to say, I refuse to lose this game of football. I will grab it by the scruff of neck. I will do something in this game. And you can trust them in the game to do something that will drag you out of a hole. That's what great players do. Right? So Bruno Fernandes, whether it's a penalty or whatever, is always contributing. There's always, he's always giving you something. He leaves his mark in the game. Paul Pogba, some people will say, is the type of player, and as you say, you've played with these players. I've played football too where I've played with players, where I can tell in the first 10 minutes what type of game they're going to have. Determined by whether something goes well for them in the first 10 minutes. If they beat a player and it goes right for them, and you see they get enormous confidence from that. And then they feel right. And then you get a good game from them. If they get hit hard via tackle and a couple of things don't go right for them in the first game, you feel they're psychologically weak. And then that mentality changes to where you think these, they're not going to have a good game. All right? We see, we, everyone knows who these players are. All right? That's the thing that I get concerned about with Paul Pogba that maybe didn't mature because you can scout talent, you can tell talent, but what you can't tell is how the players respond psychologically in make or break situations. And we talked about players that have to live a certain way off the pitch every single day, professionalism that shows up on the weekend. Those are all the question marks to me, not just about Pogba to be fair. Lastly, when he was the focal point of this team, the, the big player, Players like him set the working environment of football club. We know this, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, whether you're in an office, whatever, the big personalities, the, the, the highest paid people, they're the ones that set the, the atmosphere in, in the working environment. And if it's something that's not holding other people to high standards, then you get what you got before Fernandez came in. Fernandez came in, you saw him against the, the weekend against Sevilla where he chewed Victor Lindelof out for not having high standards, right? That atmosphere has changed now where, for, where Pogba has had to change his personality to, 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 to be held to those standards. Those standards weren't being implemented before. So I think to me, uh, if he walked away from Manchester United today, when, 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 last season, whenever it was rumored he could leave, there wasn't a lot of Man United fans losing a lot of sleep over it. Because we were asking ourselves, what do you lose if you lose him? 
And, you know, to me, there was still a lot of question marks. He missed penalties in key games at the start of the season that he shouldn't have been taking. These are temperamental questions that shouldn't be asked of this player. So for me, I think uh, he still has to prove he's genuine, consistently world-class to me. Yeah, yeah. I guess if I had to sum it up, because you've used that word, is that it seems to me that for Paul Pogba to be successful, the environment has to be right, right? And I'm weary of those players because I think the players at his level or the best players, they create the environment. Correct. They set the they standards. Don't look, they don't look for the environment to be They don't correct. conform. They set. That's correct. So, so, and Bruno Fernandes is a great example because, come on, we all knew Bruno Fernandes' quality. But, I mean, mm. everybody that's watched him, and maybe I'm privileged because I, you know, I commentate and see Portuguese League from time to time, maybe more than, you know, the average fan that before Bruno Fernandes came over didn't see that many games. But... I mean, for Bruno Fernandes to walk into that team, never played in England. This is the second mm -hmm. stint for, for Paul Pogba at Manchester United, right? Just walk in, no adjustment needed, single-handedly change that team. Now, of course, you've mentioned Greenwood and all, but you know what I mean, right? Yes, when he absolutely. came in, there was an aura. He mm -hmm. right away, look, that team wasn't any better or any worse than before he came in, right? Well, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Janic. When you bring somebody in and you change something, the players start to believe. They say, okay, we have something now that we didn't have. Just like you were saying before, and that's what Fernandez did. So Bruno Fernandez came to a club that wasn't in a good spot. He could have said mm -hmm. no and said, you know what, mm -hmm. I'll wait. Yeah, United aren't, aren't in a good way. They're, at the time, I don't know, what they were 7-8. They probably won the Champions League, right? But Bruno Fernandez said, no, I'll come in. Came in, never played in the league, no adjustment needed whatsoever and right away changed the, the way the team played, made others around them better, right? The players in front of him, I think, immediately trusted. Right away, they said, wow, if he has the ball, I have a chance. I don't know if those same players were always saying that about Pogba. Now, mind you, I do understand that Paul Pogba and, and Bruno Fernandes are a little bit different players, but, you know, where Paul Pogba carried the ball maybe one or two touches or a little bit too long, you know, Bruno Fernandes, you know, if I'm Martial, if I'm Rashford, if I'm Greenwood, I'm going listen, if I make the run, Bruno's going to find me. Mm -hmm. You know what exactly. I mean? And yeah. so, so I think that player, great players create their own environment, where, as I said, Paul Pogba, it seems like you need to create a special environment for him so he feels good and now I can perform. Well, it shouldn't work that way. I could not agree with you more. Two points, Jan, I just want to talk to you about before we go. I want to ask you about Bayern Munich because everyone at the top has their own, their, their own era. Uh, you know, we've had the era of Barcelona. We had the era of Real Madrid where, where, where Zidane won three titles in a row, which was truly remarkable. Somehow it doesn't get mentioned as one of the greatest coaches in the world. This is going to overlook incredibly. Well, now we look like we're looking at a Bayern team that are exceptional. They beat Chelsea, I think it was 7-1 over two legs, which was, uh, I, I know Chelsea didn't play the strongest team second leg, nonetheless, mm -hmm. right? But this is a Bayern team that, if you go through it, has a beautiful blend of world-class players, young players. Uh, they, they, it has players that, you know, they, they, they can't get into their team. They're walking the most teams. This is one of the best Bayern teams that I've seen in a long, 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 long time. Uh, Robert, they may probably have the best number nine in world football and Robert Lewandowski for me. Um, uh, this is a Bayern team that has the potential and has the look of a team that may be the next European team to dominate over the next couple of years. How highly do you rate them? Well, I mean, I see Crow, even though, I mean, this is the first time that I even took a chance of doubting Bayern Munich because I can't imagine that you had the same opinion in the beginning of the season, right? I mean, there was, there was a moment. Uh, Certainly not know, convinced like this, yes. Well, I mean, I mean, they were awful. Remember, seventh in the Bundesliga, yeah. right? Yeah, that's when right. Hansi Flick came in, even, mm -hmm. I think they were ninth after the first mm -hmm. couple of games, right? Uh, didn't look great in the Bundesliga, and I should know better. I never, I, I've never doubted Bayern Munich, but I did this year, mm -hmm. and I'm getting found out here. But who knew, mm -hmm. right? But yeah. it just goes to show that because you know the thing, it's not even a question that I, I should have known better, but I should because there isn't another team that can change their mentality or react so quickly within the season. And this is not the first time we've seen Bayern Munich do this, right? I mean, how many times we've seen you Henkels right. come in, you know, to save Bayern Munich, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, late in the season and all of mm -hmm. a sudden they're winning everything. So 
this is what I love about them because it's the football people that run them, right? Hans Rummenigge, Uli Hennes, even though he's not there, of course he's there. He just doesn't have the title, right? Now, Oliver Kahn, they're bringing him in. Yep. It's always, there's pe smart people, business people that do their thing, but there's always consistency over the last 10, 30 years. Uli Hennes, Hans Rummenigge, I don't know how many years he's been there, but just about the same, right? It's got to be 20, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And now, now they're already looking ahead because Uli Hennes kind of, is on the outs, right? Oliver Kahn comes in. So there's always that consistency of the club's great that do understand the fabric of the club, the culture of the club, what it means to the supporters and what it means to be associated with Bayern Munich. And, you know, we're running out of time, but we're talking about many clubs that don't understand that. You can say about Arsenal, you can say mm -hmm. this about, you're Manchester United to a large degree, right? Since Sir Alex Ferguson uh, has left. And, you know, even my Liverpool for years, right? And remember Gillette and Hicks. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. that, that was a club that 10 years ago almost went bankrupt to some degree, right? Yeah. Look what happened, right? So, so Bayern Munich doesn't seem to go through these, right, over the years. And people will say, well, they buy the best players. And everybody's trying to buy the best players. But consistency in terms of understanding when to change the dressing room, when to change the managers, right? Like somebody like Hansi Flick. Well, Niko Kovac came in, mm -hmm. and as much as I loved him at Frankfurt, we kind of knew, even though he was, of course, a Bayern, he's been at Bayern Munich, we were like, ah, hard man, pragmatic. That's not what Bayern want. Maybe we were afraid to say that, but surely that went through your head, right? Well, next thing you know, Hansi Flick comes in, and the rest is history. Look, I mean, they understand what it means to represent that team. You, you don't go to Bayern Munich just by, by mistake, right? They look for certain characters because talent is a given. If you go to play for Bayern Munich or Manchester United or Liverpool, you've got to have talent. So forget that. But you have to have that certain character and mentality to rise when things don't go well. That's the difference between good and great players, right? When things go well, yeah, all those cliches, we all kind of you know, uh, uh, are, are happy. So I shouldn't be surprised. I think, look, it's wonderful. You've mentioned Robert Lewandowski. You're not going to hear an argument from me um, because, uh, you know, he's my countryman. Uh, but just let's look everywhere. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, they've got the right manager, right? You look at Thomas Muller under Ancelotti and Niko Kovac on the outs, on the bench, right? Uh, Boateng, same thing. You know, you know, Yogi Lube as well has done that to him. Here comes, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hansi Flake and said, no, 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 no. Thomas, you scored 10 goals in two World Cups, you know. I trust you. Look at the way he plays. Again, I'm not on the inside, but sometimes you need to get someone that un understands players inside out and, and does everything for them to be successful rather than chopping and changing. And, and Because there's not much else you can say about Bayern Munich because we all knew that quality was there. It just, they were underperforming extremely so what i see at Bayern, um that other top clubs don't always get right is they know exactly who they are they know they have football people in football positions at Bayern munich they don't change their identity or philosophy for anyone you've got to come in and adjust to Bayern. so they go out and look at coaches because they're football people and they understand how, how, how teams play, they understand why they end up playing that way. This is why, to me, a Jose Mourinho would never end up at a Bayern Munich, right? Because Jose Mourinho comes in and changes a football club to suit his ideology. You don't do that at Bayern Munich. You don't do that at Barcelona, for example. You have to adjust to their identity. So these football people go out, they pick a football guy that plays football in their image that they expect Bayern Munich to play. So they know how to find these people. They know what characteristics they have to have. They know that they are suited to how Bayern Munich plays so that they don't bring a guy in that says, okay, for you to play in my way, you got to go out and sign five, six players and get rid of five, six players that aren't suited. And then the next guy comes in and you've got to have revolution every time somebody comes in. For example, this is what Manchester United would do. And they pick coaches that they would see would, were successful, but because business people were picking these coaches, they didn't understand why they were successful. They just saw the success and thought, you know, he's a bit good, he'll do, without really understanding that 
they were successful because they were at the right clubs with the right players that personified how they played. Um, so this is why I think Mourinho will feel at Spurs because I don't think he's going to get that. So I think Bayern Munich are very, very good at knowing what type of coach they want and, and having them adjust to Bayern parameters. And so, look over... Yeah. But, but it's not, not only that, Phil. It's, look at, I mean, if you look at the way they play, it's usually 4 2 3 one, or it could be mm-hmm. 4 3 eight. But, you know, you know, your typical number nine, over the years, over the years, you look at Mario Gotze, you look at Miro yeah, Klaus, yeah, yeah. right? They're all Luka successful. Was that? Luca Tony, they had all these old, old style number nines. All those players, right? And, you know, wide areas, you know, Robin and Ribery. You know, even thinking about Robin and Ribery, they're gone. I mean, they were massive players. Imagine any club losing players like this. And they turn around and all of a sudden they're back where they were. And you almost forget about... Players like Ribery and Robin, right? And maybe that adjustment in the beginning of the year was because, you know, you two massive personalities left all of a sudden, right? But you have Serge Gnabry that all of a sudden gets a chance mm-hmm. and he looks in, incredible, by the way, in every mm-hmm. game. You have yep. Coman or even Pettis that, that comes in, but Coman has his injuries, right, and all that. But they never changed the way they play over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. years. They look for players for certain position, they don't look for somebody that can play Correct. number nine. They look for a player that is best number nine, right? And I'm sure, as I'm sitting here, even though Lewandowski has another couple of years, especially the way he carries himself, he's a total pro, never gets injured, right? And he's going to be there for another year or two. He's going to be successful. But right now, it's wise for all of us to look for the next Luca Toni and Miro Klose and Lewandowski. That's going to be that type of player. Mm-hmm. And in the wide areas, you're going to have that type of player. And you have Philip Lam that played right back in central midfield. Now you have Joshua Kimmich that plays there. They're going to be looking for the players that understand not only Bayern Football Club, what it means to put that jersey on, but also how they play and what's expected. And only then, when the Rummenigas of the world get in the room and, and, and Ali Khan, they're going to look at every player 2,800 times until they determine this player in this position is going to be successful for us for a number of years. That's how a football club should of be run. Of course. And that's why they can also surgically take someone from their academy who's been at their academy from under 9, under 10, under 11, brought up in the system and surgically take them and put them in a team that seamlessly fits. And I know exactly And they will do that. They're not afraid to do that. Uh, And they've done an exceptional job. Which brings me to my last point before we go. Uh, One of the positives, the great positives, has been the form of Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. Uh, It's been great for the MLS. Uh, We've seen, of course, Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig. Maybe is this the best era, Janish, of American players in Europe where they've had the most respect, where people now look at the MLS as a serious league with serious talent. Now look at North American players, American Canadians, as we see Jonathan David, of course, as well, going for big money. Um, Are we now in the healthiest era of American players and the healthiest era of the MLS a level where it's finally getting the respect we so covet in this country? Yes. Well, I, I don't even know if I'm going to correct you, but remember, Jonathan Davies is Canadian. so I, I Yeah, no, I'm saying North American, which I included Canadian, so Fonzo Davies, of course. Uh, look, look, as always, you have people that paved the way in the past, but there's always these gaps, right? The, for a mm-hmm. while you have, you know, in my times, it was the Tab Ramesses and Johnny Harks, mm-hmm. as, you, as you remember, at Sheffield Wednesday yeah. and Dark. Uh, you know, but then it was kind of quiet, right? People maybe, maybe not in, a, you know, there wasn't a time to play like that. But you know, uh, Claudio Reyna played in Manchester City, Rangers played in Bundesliga, and now Gio is playing there. So I think it's a good time right now, and the good time is because there's a lot of clubs, especially in Germany, that are willing to ch- take a chance on young players. We've mm-hmm. started this conversation an hour ago about what this pandemic may or may not do. And we've talked mm-hmm. about younger players getting a great opportunity, right? And younger, younger players getting frustrated and getting smart, by the way, Phil, right? Because mm-hmm. you look at the Bellinghams and Sancho's, yeah. they're saying, look, look, Premier League. Look, I've yeah. played, you know, starting a new club when I was six, seven years, and I don't see a pathway. Mm-hmm. I'm going where I can play. And then you'll buy me that. back for 100 million, right? So, yeah. so I think these players are a little bit smarter I think like when you look at the North American players or American players, they're, they're also willing to take a risk. Times are different, Phil. Because in the past, it was safer to go to college. You get a great education. There's, there's absolutely n- nothing wrong with that. And remember, in my days, you couldn't count even on MLS to 
to make a proper living, right? But yet going away was a little bit scary. You know, I mean, first of all, it's far away. It's different. You've always been kind of thought that, you know, you play your youth soccer, you go to college, you get a good degree. And then if there's a league, you play, right? But the best years of your development, you could argue are gone. Well, right now, not only Major League Soccer provides a very good living, if you're talented, if you're mm-hmm. good enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the money is certainly there. Uh, but also now these players are looking after high school, which is something that's been done all over the world, right? To forego college. And again, I'm not sitting here saying it's right or wrong or indifferent, right? It's your choice. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, I think they're braver. They're kind of want to test themselves against the best. To some of them, they say, well, Major League Soccer is here. It's good enough. I can play here. But I'm, I think I'm talented enough to go and test myself. And they're not afraid of the consequences because you have to understand that it could be a failure. It doesn't mean that you're a bad player, but there's just so much talent out there. So I think it's a great opportunity right now because of what, you know, the Christian Pulisic has done recently. Gio Reyna now is at Bayern Munich. Chris Richards, of course, another center back was at Bayern Munich, was a really good player. And, and obviously, I mean, what can you say about uh, Fonzie Davies? I mean, he's, he's mm-hmm. been absolutely right. lights out. At 19 years old, looks like he's going to be starting, uh, you know, in, in, in the, in the fight. Well, if they get to the final, let's let's yeah. just wait because that's what Juve said against Lyon as well. Yeah, I, I think it's great for the country. I think it's great to finally see players here getting that respect and making an impact on that level. Yanis, um, this has been magnificent. I am really, really enjoyed doing this. We've covered a lot of topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And uh, This is something we should be doing on a regular basis because this was a lot of fun. Sounds good. Thank you pleasure so much, Yanis. Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. See you, Yannis. Take care. Bye.